welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. So today I have an episode on one of my favorite topics. And I mean, I'm not really sure why it's one of my favorite topics, except that unfortunately, it is such a common theme for empaths. And that is talking about the relationship between empaths and narcissists. And so my guest today is the absolutely lovely Martine Felton. Martine is an author, intuitive life coach, and medium who has always had a love for writing. Since she was a teenager, Felton has drawn inspiration from the world around her to write short stories, poetry, and journals. Now, Martine has turned her love for encouraging others to overcome their limiting beliefs, embody self-love, and walk, walk in their purpose into her fiction and nonfiction works. Felton enjoys meditating, being a life coach, and sharing her magic with the world when not writing. And to find, find out more and subscribe to her online community, you can just go visit martinefelton.com. It's that easy. Martine, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Jen. Well, as I said, this is this really is one of my favorite topics to discuss. Mm -hmm. And I just think, and I will just say that every single time I've done an episode on empaths and narcissists, they're almost always some of the most downloaded episodes. So I really believe that this is a topic that mm -hmm. people really want to hear about because it is unfortunately really common. But before we go into all of that, Michigas, let's start at the beginning and talk about obviously you are intuitive and a medium so you know you came to the right place welcome to the empathic <laughs> welcome to the empathic mastery tribe so let's talk about what your experience was like as a little kid like what was your like how did you know you were intuitive how did you discover you were a medium did you identify did you recognize or like when did you realize do you, do you use the term empath for yourself and if yes, when did you realize you were one? If no, like, you know, what did you identify as? I mean, I know I'm asking you all kinds of questions, but like, yeah, tell me I, about your childhood. Yes. When I was a child, I really didn't even know. I didn't, I didn't identify with any of those things, empath, being an intuitive, but they were present. They were there. Those things were there. I just didn't know what it was. And I thought like I was weird. <laughs> so for always feeling things so deeply and um, being able to know things about people that I otherwise shouldn't know or, you know what I mean? It's like, why yes. do I know this about someone? <laughs> and um, I always used to love to people watch being from New York, riding the train. And I always used to like observe the other people on the train and I used to find myself, which I thought I was just playing a game, passing the time. Oh, she looks like she's so unhappy. And then I would kind of get stories about this person in my head. And I'm thinking I'm making this stuff up, you know, but then I realized later on that I was just really intuiting all of that, getting downloads <laughs> of all this information about people. And so it wasn't until a few, about four or five years ago that um, I learned about the whole empath, being an empath, um, that I learned that I had intuitive gifts, um, that I started um, reading tarot, giving readings to people, and just really embracing that part of me. Um, so as in my childhood, I, that was never present for me. Right, right. Well, it sounds like it was present, but there yes. wasn't any, there wasn't any vocabulary, there wasn't yes. any, any diet, there wasn't any, there wasn't any context for it. 
you right. were experiencing all of it, but but nobody was normalizing it. Nobody was even talking about it with you. Well, actually, my mom used to go to readings all the time. And I ah. knew, I knew of like, I knew of psychics and mediums and things like that. That was not foreign to me. I just didn't think that I would be <laughs> one of those. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> Because they just seem so mystical and magical. Like, I'm like, oh, that could never be me. I'm just nodding my head in total agreement with you. Because, well, and just thinking about, I mean, this is almost like an entirely other episode about just the stereotypes of what it means to be a mystic, what it means to be a psychic. And like, especially Mm -hmm. like the television version, there's a documentary yes. that's on HBO right now about um, Miss Cleo and the Psychic Friends Network. That, oh, my God. I've been meaning to watch that. Oh, my God. Watch it. Seriously. It's really interesting because What's the name of it is it on it's HBO on Cleo. It's on, on HBO demand? on demand. And okay, great. it's like I think it's just I think it might even be called Miss Cleo or something or time for Miss mm-hmm. Cleo. But what's so fascinating about it is that Miss Cleo, that everybody thinks is this like, you know, like Jamaican mystic, that was a caricature. That Mm. was a character. That was a persona that she created to sell on infomercials. And so even, and she apparently had some gifts and some abilities, but this sort of idea of like what we see as the quote psychic, it's complete fabrication. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can't even count the number of TV shows that I've seen and movies that I've seen where it's like all of the psychics are wearing like weird turbans and dressed (laughs) like, you know, dressed like Stevie Nicks and big crystal balls and jewelry and all of this other stuff. So I think it's understandable if your mom was going to, depending on the kind of medium or psychics that they Mm -hmm. were going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that. Well, I grew like, up. I don't my 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 background is Haitian, uh-huh. so it was not very Miss Cleo like, but along the lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Along the lines, it's yeah. Oh, and I mean, and it, depending, I'm imagining depending on whether your family being Haitian was more towards the. I'm trying to think of like, I know Candomblé is, is Brazilian, I, is the Voodoo tradition of Haiti. Like yeah, Haitian Voodoo. Haitian yes. Voodoo, if you were yeah. raised with the Voodoo tradition or, you know, more on the Christian side of things or the intersection. Both. Yeah. Yes. So you have a lot of magic in your family line. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just... So you, so you grew up in, and so it wasn't like you were growing up in an environment where like, I've talked to some people who grew up in environments where they were raised around evangelicals or mm-hmm. raised in like very scientific, very atheist environments or things like that, where it's kind of like, there's just no room for this. It sounds like you grew up in an environment where there was room for this. You just didn't recognize yourself within it. Yes. Absolutely. That there was definitely room for it. Um, But there was a certain point where my mom kind of kind of fell back away from it, you know, as as she got older or whatever, she just then started really going to church, church because we were, you know, I was raised Catholic. My dad was my dad was not into any of it. He was like, go to church every Sunday, blah, 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 you know. And then my mother was kind of, she was walking her, her line between the both. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I call it the the difference between the capital C Catholic and the little C Catholic. Uh Yeah, uh yeah. So then she went to the capital C after a while. And so when I would try to, um, because I don't know if you know, um, Caribbean's, you know, they don't like to talk about, you know, the the voodoo because of the negative aspect surrounding it, you know, because so they don't want to talk about it. So whenever I try to talk about it with her, she'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Mm. I'm like, are you kidding me right Mm. now? I need to know these things. And then my mom now, she has dementia. So there was a certain point where I wouldn't even 
be able to bring it to up to her because she definitely would be like, what the hell are you talking about? Right, right. So, um, you know, I sought out information on my own, you know, met other people, some really great souls online who practice ATRs, African traditional religions. And so I learned about a lot of different things, learning about Haitian voodoo, about the Orisha, about Espiritismo, you know, that that's Hispanic shamanism, um, just a lot of different things, a lot of different magic out there. You are singing a song I love to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as as a very like white girl, I have had a deep respect for the African traditions and also a strong awareness of like in this lifetime, this is not the 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 direction that I go in because mm-hmm. I really do respect. Like I haven't even had my shells read because for one thing, I don't want to have to do what the Orisha tell me to do because I had friends who back in the day like got their shells read and it was like things like you have to wear nothing but yellow for the next like six months or you can't eat summer squash for this period of time. This was mm-hmm. somebody who was a devotee of Oshun. Yeah. But um. But uh, there's so much depth and so much richness and so much power. And, you know, you remind me of like just that thing, though, of like, especially I think when we are coming into a new country, how the old ways, the old traditions are so frequently sort of pushed under the rug by our predecessors that it's sort of like I come from a Celtic background and a lot of Irish mystic mysticism. But it's a similar, in a way, it's like that migration from the old country to the new country. There's this sort of like denial of the old ways. And so it's sort of like maybe you'd hear a fairy tale or you hear a myth or, you know, like a folk tale or something. But mm-hmm. but when you ask directly about it, it's kind of like, oh, no, that doesn't exist anymore. And <laughs> yes. it, so I can really relate to what you're talking about in terms yeah. of. You know, my I didn't learn about intuitive abilities or psychic abilities running on my mother's line until I was definitely, you know, in, in, an adult, mm-hmm. you know, and just and, and and even in those, it was like just little glimmers in passing of, you know, oh, yeah, your great grandmother used to do that, like mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. Because yeah. it's these traditions are they're they're closed. Yes. You know, it's like you can learn from you can find mentors but a lot of the good ones are old and or they don't want to practice anymore because they're old and they don't, you know what I mean? Or it's things. And then you have there's initiation and 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 ceremony and all of that. And it's just I don't know. It's hard, but I'm I found people that are, you know, that I can trust that I can learn from. And and that's all I really ask for. You know, if I'm never initiated, that's fine. But, you know, if it, and if it's supposed to happen in some, whatever spiritual belief, then it will happen. It will happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and especially, I, you know, when the Orisha choose you. Yes. They will make it happen for you. you. (laughs) Yes. Because I've seen I've, yeah, my, like I said, I have a respectful relationship with the Orisha, but I also have had a very clear, like, I know, I know, I know what I am and who I am. And, and, and so like have just chosen to be like, I, I have a deep, deep, deep respect for for them. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Just incredible respect for them. They're just, and one of the things that I actually think is so remarkable about all of the African traditions is that where the indigenous traditions of my ancestors, like we were slaughtered for our traditions in Europe, Mm -hmm. you know, with the witch burnings and everything. And so many of our gods and goddesses, I just got chills as I said this, many of our gods and goddesses were actually just either turned into saints or just completely like we lost the thread. Yeah. But the African traditions like the Orisha have never died. Like there is a living, there is something so powerful about the living, breathing traditions that you come from, where mm-hmm. it, it's almost like you have 
like you're connected to a live wire. Whereas, you know, in some ways, when I first started discovering it, I kind of had to resuscitate the line because it had been so suppressed for such a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I I understand that. We could go on and on about this. And we were talking, we wanted to talk about- Are we supposed to be talking about narcissists? (laughs) So let's talk about, um, do you think that your sensitivity influenced your attraction to narcissistic relationships? Absolutely. Yes. Because I was always the type of person to feel like I could help someone or or I would see the good or, you know, really try my best to see the good, the good soul in a person. And I'd be like, that person right now looks like an asshole, but is really deep down in there a good person. And I would take it upon myself to say, I'm going to bring that out of him. I'm just nodding my head. <laughs> I love how Martine preach. I so, yes. yeah. Oh my God. I, I actually, at a certain point, I wrote a little tiny song for myself that goes, mm-hmm. love the reality and not the potential. Love the reality or yes. don't love me at all. Exactly. <laughs> because I was so totally 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 attracted to the potential in the people. potential in and people. i ignored the truth of who they were and you know or was so attracted to the wound of like oh they're so wounded and broken i can help them mm-hmm. so yeah right there yeah yeah that, that was it for me in a nutshell and it kept going on relationship after relationship after relationship but in different ways it presented in different ways. So it never really was the same situation, but it would be like a different, you know, everyone was different. I was going to say, I love that you're saying this because Mm -hmm. I think that people get themselves, like, I think people find themselves feeling really like, how did I do this again? And you and I were talking about this off, off, you Mm -hmm. know, before we turned on the recording, it's just like, this is one of the questions people often will come up against is like, how did I find myself there? And I think you just hit one of the most important things is that it's not like you're just getting a cookie cutter where you're like going after the exact same, like, um, I agent Smith from the matrix. Like it's like, they look different. There Mm -hmm. is a different quality to them. And so I love that you're saying that, that it's like, there's, there is a distinction that there was like different flavors, different qualities might all be ice cream, but it definitely Mm -hmm. tastes different when you first experience it. Exactly. Exactly. And they all presented differently. There were different challenges, but what it all boiled down to was that it was really just all about them. You know what I mean? And them taking from me, me pouring into them, (laughs) them taking from me, me pouring into them, them to, you know what I mean? And it was like a cycle. Yes. Yes. So how old was this a pattern that you started? Like, how old were you when you started, when this pattern started for you? I'm not really sure, but I can really, oh, actually I do know. Um, I was about 24, 25, 24. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, I'm imagining you dated before you were 24 or 25. Yes. Yeah, I did. But I mean, the guys that I dated before that, I don't really have a huge recollection of the real dynamics because it was really not. It was, you know, on and off relationships like my relationships would literally last a few months. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which in I always think of like teenagers and dog years in the same way that like a three three month relationship for a teenager is equivalent to like a three-year relationship for an adult that's my that's my perspective that you know Mm -hmm. I don't think most relationships last that long when you're that young but except but my relationships prior my relationships prior to that 24 25 point 
I don't remember them being very like I did have a low self-esteem. I did have a a self-worth issue for Mm -hmm. sure. So it was a lot of promiscuity on my part. So that's why it it never really lasted long anyway for me to really, you know, kind of really see whether or not they were narcissists or not. But when um, I started dating seriously and um, my my oldest daughter, she is about she's 24 now. Her dad, he was the first relationship in that cycle. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'm wonder. I'm curious. What was it that had you pivot? Like, were you just ready to be in a more long-term, serious relationship, or like, how did you go from sort of the casual, serial dating that you were doing mm-hmm. prior to that to suddenly being like, was like, I'm wondering, was there some kind of an event, something, something pivotal that happened? Well, or you're yes, yes. Now it's coming back to me. There was, I was before him, I was seeing someone dating someone on and off who someone who I really, really cared about. And we were on and off dating for a couple of years. And I, we were both in the same college in New York and he would never want to commit. He didn't want to claim me. He was all about going to school building him his career up, you know, all the typical stuff that guys say when they don't really want you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was heartbroken. And so I decided I just wanted to leave New York and I wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted to be somebody else. And I just wanted to get out of here. So mm-hmm. I enrolled in college in Florida. And I said, I'm just going to go to Florida and continue my education there and just be somebody else. Nobody knows me there and I can just be whoever I want to be. And um, that was my thinking. (laughs) And I think about it now that it's like, Martine, you're you're nuts. Um, (laughs) I I decided to move to Cleveland a, a second time because I had been thin in Cleveland at one point before. And I figured if I went to Cleveland, I could be, I would be thin again. So you understand, you understand wanting to be totally yeah, different. That, that, that geographic cure of like, yes. if I just go to a new location. I'm not going to be the same. I'm, I'm going to, yes. I'm not going to be the same person that I am in this other place. What part of Florida did you end up in for you? In my, in Miami. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. I was just sort of thinking like I was saying Florida in my experience, at, at least like my husband and I are always joking whenever we go to Florida, like we come away or we end up going, Florida is so weird. <laughs> like It is just, weird. It is a weird place. And, but Miami, I think of all of the places I'm imagining is probably a lot more inclusive and just a lot richer culture than mm-hmm. like, there are some parts of Florida where it's kind of like, Oh, that must've been quite a culture shock rude awakening for you as a New Yorker. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I, that's when, and that's when the pivot happened. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. when, and then in Florida, I met my first, my first real narcissist. <laughs> yeah. And I'm imagining at first it was good. Oh, it was awesome. It was yeah. so awesome. Yeah. But, um, but I didn't like at that time, I thought that that someone being overbearing and someone being controlling or, you know, and me not noticing the red flags of all of that, that was love, you know, because I was, and because I was trying to, I wanted that so badly for someone to claim me, for someone to love me. And I didn't get that in the other guy that broke my heart. So when someone was kind of giving that to me, what seemed to be love, what seemed to be attention, what seemed to, you know, like this guy really cares about me, you know? And I thought that that was love, but it was just, you know, a a type of control or trying to control. 
I'm just doing the math. We're talking probably what, 1998, 1999, just based on the age of your daughter that you made this move? Yeah, well, she was born in 98. So it was like more like 96. 96. Yeah. Yeah. So 1996, we were living in a completely different time. And I just think about like, I think about even just the media representation of what women were have been socialized to regard as love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of like, I mean, I'm sort of like, don't even get me started about the way that stalker behavior is just like romanticized. Mm -hmm. And like, but there is an absolute idea of the man who is chasing you, the man who is pursuing you, the man who has this macho dominance is very much put up on a pedestal and is regarded. And and nobody was talking about this stuff in 1996, the way we're talking about it now. Toxic masculinity. Nobody was saying the words like gaslighting was not a term that people were using back then. Toxic masculinity was not a term people were using back then. Mm -hmm. Um, Grooming was not necessarily a term people were using back then. Like we knew about abuse and domestic violence, but I don't think that we were necessarily recognizing the red flags between in a narcissistic relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so that's where it started. Well, and I can really hear that you were, you know, it also makes complete sense to me that it's a counterbalance because if you had been in these relationships with emotionally unavailable, not very interested, like I love the movie, he's not that into into you. Yes. (laughs) I love that. A little embarrassing (laughs) in some ways because I was absolutely the woman who would just throw herself after person, you know, just go after the people who just really were not that into me. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. when we're in those kinds of emotionally unavailable relationships, like I really hear that this narcissistic relationship was the antidote in the sense that you had not gotten attention, you had not been validated. And one of the things I think that narcissists really understand is narcissists crave attention so deeply that they Mm -hmm. know how to give it to people. Mm-hmm. Like they know what is needed. And so I'm sure he knew how to pour it on thick at the beginning. And absolutely. And there was a large age gap as well. There was um about a 13 year age gap. So he was much more experienced than I was. And you were in your early 20s? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't want the attention of a man of a of an established gentlemen mm-hmm. in their 30s with probably mm-hmm. an income and they can spend mm-hmm. money on you and mm-hmm. where they seem so worldly and knowledgeable and knowledgeable yes and all this experience and and you know right so at what point did it start to go from the honeymoon and that like lovely just like you're both on the pink cloud of like the intoxicating period that Mm -hmm. the narcissistic relationship is in, at what point did you start noticing red flags? At what point was there um, an event or was there a point in time where you were like, oh, this is that moment where I kind of, something's not working here. It was when I started making friends because no, just because I'm new to Florida. I, I know, I knew two people. And not even, they weren't even real like friends, friends. They were just people I knew that when I got there, you know, came to see me like once or twice or whatever and family friends. So, but when I started working, I had found a a full-time job and I started making friends at work, wanting to hang out after work drinks, things like that. Then it started the control started happening. Like, why are you hanging out with this person? You know, like, you know, she's like, she looks like a slut or whatever. And, you know, she sniffs Coke and, you know, and all of this, like trying for me not to socialize. Right. Right. Outside of them. Which is classic, like textbook, domestic violence grooming of, isolating you and keeping you mm-hmm. out of relationships with anybody else. Mm-hmm. I it's interesting to me that the pivot or that you started noticing the red flags at the point where 
Because I'm imagining, like you were saying you had a job. And so I'm imagining you also had more financial autonomy at that point in your life. Like you suddenly had money, which mm-hmm. meant that you had more freedom. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of imagining that he started to tighten the reins at the point where you had more agency and more ability to actually make choices for yourself. Yeah, I did because I had purchased a car. I was able to purchase a car and, you know, start getting my ish together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you, um, where was your daughter in this? Were, were you, had you not yet born. birth to her yet? Or? No, n- not until um, I came. At a certain point, I... I missed home and I realized that I wanted to go back home. I wanted, you know, to, I missed New York so terribly and I was, I wanted to go back home and I'm, and at this point I'm still in my twenties. So I'm like, okay, if I'm going to be doing this moving around stuff, it's now that you do it before you have kids. And so I was over Miami. I was there for like two years and I was over it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going home now. <laughs> if if I was in your shoes and I had to choose between Miami and New York, I guarantee you I'd be in the same boat you were in. I would have missed home a lot. Back too. then, right? Back yeah. then. So yeah, so that didn't really go over well because then he was, he went totally bonkers on me and Um, So that kind of got a little toxic, but I still came home anyway. And then um, there was all the phone calls and the phone calls and the phone calls. And that's when I learned that in order to kind of disengage yourself, um, you, you cannot engage. Like you can't, like the phone call started off nice. The phone call started off, how are you doing? Are you okay? Then the then they escalated to, I can't believe you did this. You know, how could you do this? You know, then they got angrier and angrier and more toxic and toxic. So I started just not engaging. And then he moved here. Mm-hmm. And then he moved here. And then I was still in the mindset of, I'm like, wow, he picked up his entire life to move to New York for me. The least I can do is try again. Right. I was was like, I was going to say, let me guess. (laughs) And that's when my daughter came. (laughs) Yes, of course. Of course. He's made this huge sacrifice for you. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, wow, he must really love me. Yeah. He just picked up house, left Miami, came to where I am, made this big sacrifice. The least I can do is make a sacrifice for him. This is one of those things where it's almost like you got to laugh because if you weren't, you'd be crying. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Back then I was crying because it was so much stress. Mm-hmm. So much mm-hmm. stress. So did you guys end up getting married? Did you? No, 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 no. I know in my in my travels, one of the things I've seen is that very often a child becomes the deal breaker in the narcissistic and empath relationship mm-hmm. because the narcissist stops getting the kind of attention they want from the empath because the empath has a child and the child takes over. It you know becomes a priority. How did you break up with him? How did you get out of this relationship? No, that that wasn't really a factor. I finally ended the relationship because I was just so tired of the overbearingness, the not feeling like I can't, I'm a Sagittarius. Mm. I'm like, I have six placements in Sagittarius. You are a (laughs) serious Sagittarius. Yes. And I need freedom. Yeah. And, And my partner, and it's not that we need to be single, and hopping around everywhere. But, you know, I partner very well with, with the right partner. And I, I need a partner that understands that I need to spread my wings and express myself. And that's not, doesn't mean that I'm bed hopping or cheating. No, you can't be checking on me every 
half an hour. You know what I mean? Like I completely, I have a Sag moon. I totally get it. (laughs) And, and for me, it's about a sense of, I don't want to be micromanaged in my life. I don't want you, I don't want you telling me that you have to make, but I don't want to have to be like, if I happen to spontaneously have an opportunity to go out for a, you know, a beverage or a meal with a friend after something to have to make a phone call to say, like, I changed my plans. Can I have permission to go do this? Like Mm -hmm. maybe I'll text and say plans changed. I'll be back in a little while, but, but just, I don't want somebody who is so who is so invested in everything I'm doing that they're going to micromanage all of it. I want autonomy about my life. I get to Mm -hmm. choose what I do. Mm -hmm. I've been married for 23 years at this point, but freedom is a big thing. So I get it. Individuality. Yeah. And so I just got tired of feeling like I was always backed up in a corner. Yeah. And I just, the baby was, she wasn't even a year yet. She was about like 10 months. And I was like, I am so done. And whatever consequence, whatever, however he flips out or whatever he does, I will deal with it. But I am not going back. This is it. And that's how it ended. So was he living with you at that point in time or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. we were living together and and I moved in with my mom. And he kept showing up at my mom's house. The phone calls kept showing up at my mom's house, would show up at the nursery. At at one point, he showed up at the daycare, which I didn't think to do, is to tell them in the very beginning of the breakup to take him off the list of people to pick up the baby. And so he picks her up Mm. without my knowledge to get my attention. And um, so I was freaking out and I called my dad. And so my dad was like, okay, I'm coming over there. And my dad went over to his place with me. And I said, listen, I just want to go upstairs. I'm going to get the baby. And then I'm going to, I'm not even going to say anything. I'm going to be act like, oh, you know, thanks for picking her up, blah, blah, blah. And go. He was like, my dad was like, okay. He's like, but you got five minutes <laughs> and then I'm coming up. <laughs> he was like, we can do it your way. <laughs> but after five minutes, we're going to do it my way. <laughs> but um, I did it in f- within five minutes because on my way down, my dad was coming up the steps. So he was like, I told you I was coming. Um, but anyway, Um, So I had to do that. Like I had to even tell them at the daycare, like, hey, he's we're no longer together. So, you know, it was like when you're in a relationship like that, it's kind of like you can't even break up quietly Mm -mm. because then he went to my friends, Mm -hmm. you know, then he went to he went calling my friends and talking about me. And and these are my friends. They're not your (laughs) friends. Right. So they're they're looking at him like, is he nuts? You know, like we're Martine's friends. We care about her. You're the one that's effing up here. Yeah. Well, and thank God, it sounds to me like you had a good support system that you had people, you had friends, you had family, you had allies who could Mm -hmm. see what was going on. Because it's always so interesting when you get, when you kind of like, you're in, you know, when, when you get into a situation where like, you're kind of surrounded by a whole bunch of cray and it's like, and the narcissist gets like hooks people and engages them. And Mm -hmm. it becomes this, like this, like ridiculous drama where other people are buying into their, their craziness and their, and their complete BS. And my and, friends did at first. My friends yeah. and family did at first. They were mm. like, what are you talking about? He's so great. Mm. But there was one time my mom's um, boyfriend, he met him and he had came over and we, he and I were, I liked him a lot. So he came over my house often with my mom. So he pulled me to the side because you know, I had the baby, he came to see the baby. And then I 
I said, I'm going to go take her. I'm going to walk her, stroll her around the block a couple of times because she likes that. She, she falls asleep. Right. So he was like, OK, um, my ex was like, OK, I'll come with you. I was like, no, it's not a big deal. Like, I'll be right back. You know, I, we do this all the time. And so he like insisted on coming with me. And so after that, my mom's ex-boyfriend was like, hey, you know, is he like that all the time? Is he like, because he kept like following me around the apartment. Like, I, I don't know if he was intimidated by this man, but which was my mom's boyfriend. Do you know what I mean? But he was, I guess, cause he was younger then my mom, <laughs> you know, like he was a nice, nicely, nice looking, well-dressed, you know, look good looking man, but he was with my mom. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he always, but he always took notice of things. And he said, is, are you, is this guy, is he always like this? Mm -hmm. Because he seems very overbearing. Like I, he was like, I would never think that you would be with somebody like this. And he just said it <laughs> And I said, when he said that to me, it just, I felt very validated because every time I would say something to someone else about it, no one would, everyone would be like, oh, he's fine. He just really loves you. He really loves, you know, the baby and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, this is, this yeah. doesn't feel right. Right. Well, and it is, it is so interesting how deeply our culture has been taught to reinforce this kind of dominance, especially toxic and toxic masculinity as like a sign of love. So that when mm -hmm. a woman starts questioning and depending on the faith community that somebody's in, I mean, that's a whole other can of worms in terms of just like the ways that women are encouraged to stay in relationships that are not serving them. So yeah, I'm so glad that your mom's former boyfriend had the wherewithal to just really say, Martine, this seems really off, like mm -hmm. and could validate you. Yeah. So if, if you had any words of advice for somebody who is recognizing that they're in a narcissistic relationship, and that they're realizing it's time to get out of it. What would you say to them? Like what, what kinds of like, what words of wisdom would you offer to a person who's looking to make the exit? Um, I would tell them that you are not crazy to trust your instincts, trust your gut and do what feels right for you. Put yourself first. Yeah. Well, and you um, held up a real strategic piece of this, which is you need to be public about this. You need to, if you have children, you need to let the daycare know or the school mm -hmm. know that it is no longer acceptable for this person to be picking this child up. Like, and just right. knowing what those, setting those boundaries and letting the people who can help you reinforce those boundaries, reinforce mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was, that was a mistake that I made, um, you know, being new. Yeah. How could you possibly know? And it's not necessarily like, and, and considering that this was your first narcissistic relationship, it mm -hmm. wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like, the, I mean, it really was your first rodeo. You were, yeah, you were learning this was. as you went. Yeah. 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 But it wasn't your last rodeo. Um, how did you, so second scene, second season, like, well, I went through a series of different relationships where, the same dynamic kept coming up, but the one, the most impactful one was my marriage, was my first marriage. Mm -hmm. And so he was another um, narcissist that kind of was the same guy as my daughter's father, but I just could, I didn't see it at the time. And they kind of even looked alike. Wow. Wow. They looked alike. And um, and I still didn't see it. Mm -mm. <laughs> so we, he, there was an age difference with him too, um, for about 13 or 14 years. And by that time I was well, I was well into my 30s. I was like 30, about 30, 31. Yeah. And um 
same thing. He was very like he had his own home. He had his kids on the weekends. He was divorced. And I thought I was and all my friends were getting married. And this relationship was mostly I felt like he saw me coming Mm -hmm. (laughs) because here I am single mom with a little three or four year old. And, you know, I'm looking at him as like an example and I'm like, wow, he has a home. He has a good job. You know, all the things that I want a car and let me just sort of implant myself into his life because I didn't really know what I wanted. Right. And I saw everyone else, all my friends having babies, getting married, buying the home, doing the suburban working family thing. I mean, it's the American dream. It's the Isn't thing. It? <laughs> it, it's what we're all being, you know, I mean, it's the bill of goods. We've all been sold that we're yes. supposed to want to get married, have the white, you know, house, white, white picket fence, 2.5 children, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, two car garage, the whole thing. I, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. And, and when you have all, and you're in your early thirties, which to me, there's still like early thirties is that stage where you're just beginning to become an adult, but you're still young and mm-hmm. you still definitely don't have it all sorted out or figured or, and and all together. And yeah. so, of course, it's like, if all your friends are getting married, everybody's having kids, he, and, and here's this person who looks like they've got it all together. Of course. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then he lived in New Jersey. So I picked up and moved to New Jersey with my daughter and moved into his home. So and then I'm assuming or I'm imagining was he sort of in the kind of the Jersey boroughs that are kind of connected, like close to New York? Or was he more like, you know, like a very different part of New Jersey? Um, Essex County, like um, the oranges. I don't know if you're familiar it's not not very close, but not mm-hmm. very far either. I know it to some extent. Like I've got a friend who's in Montclair and. You know, oh, it was of, right. It was neighboring Mount Montclair. OK. Yeah. South I Orange, sort of still think of Montclair South. as like kind of I still think of Montclair as like the new like the New York part of New Jersey, as opposed to like the Philly part of New Jersey or like the, <laughs> the South Jersey. Yeah. Um, it was, Yeah. So we were kind of right next to Montclair because we were mm-hmm. in South Orange. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, moved over there and I barely came back to New York. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was like, whenever I, you know, I had a car, my own car. So what, but whenever it was like, oh, I'm going to New York to see my mom. It's like, everyone had to come, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It couldn't be just me going or me and my daughter going for a couple of hours or half the day. I'll see you later on this evening. Everyone, him, his kids, every, like, are you kidding me? Mm. All the time. And going to see my friends, just me girlfriend time. Yeah. Like hardly ever happened because it's like, oh, why can't you just invite them over here and tell them to invite them over here and bring their husbands? And like, um, and that's cool, too. Yeah. You know, every once in a while, all the, the couples get together or what have you. But we're trying to coordinate a girlfriend time. These people exactly. are part of my life before you. Right. Right. Well, and it's a very different experience to just be hanging out with your girlfriends and chatting and mm-hmm. just, you know, like dishing and spilling the tea. Yes. Then it is to be like in a three ring circus event where it's like everybody and their uncle is there. And it's mm-hmm. it's like and and in those cases, you can't let your hair down. You can't just relax and hang with your girlfriend and like have a tasty beverage and just like talk. Yeah. And because just you're being the hostess. You are completely focused on navigating and taking care of all the people. Mm-hmm. It, so it's a completely different thing. Yeah. And it was always, um, even with, with like friends or coworkers, it was always, oh, I saw how he looked at you. Where are you going wearing that? Um, he deleted all of the ma- my male coworkers numbers from my cell phone. 
it was, I was an executive assistant at the time. So of course I had my bosses. I had everyone in the job. It was a work phone. Like it was a work phone and you needed those phone numbers. Like, right. (laughs) Yeah. And all the guys that I worked with, he deleted their numbers. And so there was a time and I was going in looking for numbers and wanting to call someone. If I'm, if I, I was, I think I was running late. Then I noticed my boss's number was totally gone. Luckily, I knew his number by heart. So I just dialed it. And then I found it so strange. I didn't I didn't put two and two together yet. And then I noticed that then this male co-worker's number was gone. And then this other one, this other. And I was like, did this man just delete all of my male co-workers numbers out of my cell phone? Then there was another time with one of my friends. It was a time where um, I, he wasn't working. So money was a little tight. It was my my one of my best friend's birthdays. So after work in the city, we were going out. She wanted to buy something new for herself for her birthday. She were, she bought herself an outfit and then she was like, hey, look at this shirt. It would look so great on you. So she buys it for me. Nothing, no big deal. We buy each other stuff all the time. Yeah. So I get home and I'm like, hey, look what Ronnie bought me. And he's like, why did she buy you that? I was like, because she loves me. That's my, but you know, that's my best friend. And he was like, oh, he was like, yeah, what are you guys like, you know, screwing? Like, what does she want to, you know, have sex with you? And I was like, what? What? Are you? Like, I couldn't help but start to laugh because it was so absurd and yeah. so immature. I was like, are you kidding me? But he was dead serious Mm -hmm. and he would project so much insecurity onto me. And it's because he was out there flirting with women and, you know, and acting inappropriate himself as well at work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and so often that's the whole thing is that they project. We are getting towards the the top of the hour where I say, I can't believe how fast the time has gone. <laughs> but before I say that, I'm really curious, like, what did it take to say, uh, yeah, no more. I'm done with this. I'm out of here. Um, it took uh, uh, like all of that compiled situations after situation after situation. And that when I told you about my the, the the blouse my friend bought me, it was that night was the turning point actually because she we were we went to her birthday celebration and he I, I don't know what it was um, he kind of um, hit on her cousin he hit on her cousin. And he knew that this was her cousin. It's not like, cause we had introduced, so he knew it, but he did it on, I, I don't know what he was thinking. And I saw him do it from across the bar mm. and the, her facial expression said everything to me. Cause she looked at him like, are you crazy? Like you're, aren't you Martine's husband? <laughs> and I, and then after that, he went to the bathroom and then I caught him coming out of the bathroom and I was like, um, and then he told me that she hit on him. <laughs> Meanwhile, I saw the whole thing happen, but didn't say anything. I was waiting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I did. And so that was the beginning of the end. That was the beginning of the end. I was like, you know what? This is not, this is not it. And I started taking steps to remove myself from the situation and remove my daughter from the situation. And one of my girlfriends helped me move all our stuff out while everyone was at school and he was at work and he came home and we were gone Mm -hmm. one day. And I never looked back. And here we are. And here we are. And, and we really are at this point getting to that last like 10 minutes of, of the podcast Mm -hmm. But before I ask you for the what's the most important thing you want to be sure to say, I just really love to hear like how did you know, like, obviously, your life is completely different now. 
You mm-hmm. are you are empowering, you know, you're talking about toxic relationships with people, you are writing, you are coaching people, you're doing intuitive work and mediumship. What is life what does life look like right now? And how have you taken all of this and turned it into something like turned turned it into gold? I life right now it still has its challenges, has its personal challenges for me, but it's definitely better than it was before. And I would tell anybody who is in situations like that is to really um, trust your intuition. Intuition is not spoken about enough right now in this world. We, um, and it's a really, really huge tool for us. And um, to to really love on yourself a lot more and to learn how to set boundaries. And I'm not only talking about physical boundaries, energetic boundaries. Yes. Do you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. This is something I love to talk about is but we, we need to have both strategic boundaries and energetic boundaries that both are yeah. important. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. How do you recognize, how do you use your intuition? How do you recognize, like, if you were going to offer like a pointer or a suggestion about how does somebody even recognize when their intuition is talking to them? What does that feel like for you? When the, when it comes up more than once, if it keeps coming to you, if this information or if this knowing or the sense to do something take to take action on something keeps coming up. That's how I know for me. Um, I don't like the first time it comes, I'll take note, but I yes. really, if it, I'll, I really won't act until I get another, a second or third nudge. I use the rule of three. Okay. If I use the rule of three. The first time I hear it and I go duly noted, the second yeah. time I hear it, I go, okay, I'm hearing you. The mm-hmm. third time I hear it, I go, okay, I need to do something about this. Yes. Yeah. 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 That And yeah. that's how I, you know, obviously when you're in a moment, in, in the moment and you need to use your intuition in the moment, you'll feel it. Like I physically feel it. Yes. In my gut. But when it's things that I should act upon or, I, I always say to my guides, I'm like, okay, I'm going to need one more, <laughs> one more time. If you really want me to do this, I'm going to need one more, one more. <laughs> Show me. Yeah. Or give me, I like, I will also say, give me a really clear, concrete sign. Give me, yes. give me something that is so like undeniable. I had actually yesterday I was working with a client and it was just amazing. We were working on something and they were nowhere near their computer screen. And every single time we hit this one thing, like this one word would come up, the emoji of thumbs up would just appear on the screen. It was amazing. Eight times. And it was like, and it was sort of like, it was like her guides just being like, this is what you're supposed to be working on here, honey. Uh uh You know, I mean, sometimes there really are those just like, undeniable signs. Yes. Undeniable. Martine, I could have, I could talk with you for hours. Like me too. I really love this. I, I, this is so rich. I mean, you and I could go down so many different rabbit holes and just be like, like, I just, it's such a delight to chat with you. And we are definitely getting to that point in time. And so I want to be sure to give you a chance to say, you know, to, to do the last bits of these things. So first off, what, like if, if, is there anything else that you are just like, I absolutely must say this, like you would kick yourself if you didn't include this Mm -hmm. in the interview? Well, my mantra, my mantra is, um, for the past couple of years has been the best love is self-love. And I really, really stand by it. And I try to live by it. I try to love on myself as much as possible, but it really is the best type of love is self-love. That's like the highest frequency. That is so beautiful. I'm like, maybe I'll even call this podcast episode, the best love is self-love. 
Um, although it probably makes sense to have something about narcissists in the title, yeah. <laughs> but oh, Martine, that is so good. So if any, you know, for the listeners who are used to the routine, they know what's coming next. And as I'd mentioned to you, I really, I think of podcasts as kind of like a form of time travel, because we know that this podcast is going to exist like for years after we've recorded it. But I believe that that message not only broadcasts into the future, it has an ability to broadcast into the past. And that it's kind of like you and I are sort of on a ribbon of time that gets folded over. And so I always love sending a message back to that younger part of ourself. And so I'm wondering if there was a message that you could give to younger Martine, what would it be? And when would it be? Like, who would you go back to talk to? And what would you tell her? I would go back to talk to the version of Martine um, that was after the divorce, my first marriage, my divorce, where I really was, I was happy to be free but I was also feeling a little lost because I didn't know in which direction I wanted to take my life. And um, I just would let her know that everything is going to be okay. That the challenges are designed, like this has been designed this way in order for you to learn. Cause I didn't know that back then. And I just felt like, why is this happening to me? Why, 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 why? Meanwhile, it was happening for me. So I would really tell myself, everything is happening for you. Mm. There's a reason. It's not happening to you. It's happening for you, which I'm sure you've heard before. I have, but Mm -hmm. the way you just articulated it really just drove it home in a way that there's this depth to what you just said that just feels so so rich. Yeah. Cause we always ask ourselves, why is this happening? Why, why? And we feel like we're being punished by the universe, but we're just being taught. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and so often I know in my own experience, it's like the universe's plans for me are so much grander than my own. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when something feels like I'm not getting my way and I'm like, why isn't it working? It's because if I if I got locked into that, I would not have the opportunity for something so much more remarkable that comes along five minutes later. It's sort of like, I don't know, like we're just like sometimes as human beings, I think it's like we have this idea of like we just have to get on the bus. We don't even bother looking at the destination. And, uh-huh. you know, and sometimes the universe is like, that's not your bus. Wait, <laughs> there's something yes. better for you. But you're like, it's raining out here. It's snowing. I need to get on this bus. Right. I want to get mm-hmm. on the bus. I, I got to go somewhere. And it's like, mm-hmm. then you end up in Kansas. Martine, <laughs> yep. this has been such a rich, just delicious conversation. Thank you so thank much you. for, and thank you for being so real. Thank you for being so, so just so genuine and just for sharing your truth with us. It's just you're very welcome. I, I enjoyed it. And I just feel like, you know, um, if any, if there's one person out here that could relate to what I'm saying, that can, sh- that has a similar story and that can see that there's life beyond these types of toxic relationships, then that's fine. If only we help one person. There is life beyond toxic relationships. Yeah. That, you know, and it is so true life beyond. And I mean, I'm so there with you. I, you know, and I sounds like you and I could like co-write a playbook about emotionally (laughs) unavailable and then nurse, you know, abusive relationships um, because I, it was, I'm very, very grateful to be in the partnership I am in now, but like, I definitely, I definitely, uh, went through quite a bit of relationship boot camp before I got here. Me too. Yeah. So how do people get in touch with you? Well, um, on my website, it's martinefelton.com, um, where people can book a session with me, a tarot, a reading session, I'm also a Reiki practitioner and sound healer. So I I do those sessions as well, um, all fully remote. 
And, um, you know, people can follow me on Instagram at Martine Felton and also my YouTube channel. Awesome. And, awesome. And on my website, I sell my book, You Love, You Learn. You love, you learn. Wonderful. Yeah. And you guys, there will be all of these links will be in the show notes. So if you're listening on the fly, you can always come back. And it is Martine, M-A-R-T-I-N-E-F-E-L-T-O-N dot com in case you are wondering. Mm-hmm. Martine, this has just been so good. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.